Welcome to Texans Unfiltered. And here we go, here we go! A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. Alright guys, well welcome to another episode of Texans Unfiltered. Uh, this one's a little different as we have uh, NFL reporter for NFL Network um, and, you know, for, used to cover the Houston Texans in Houston for um, Comcast Sportsnet, James Palmer. James, thank you for taking time out of your day uh, to talk with me. Yeah, anytime. I mean, seriously, I, I love going down to Houston. Uh, I can't get back there enough because it's kind of, it's it's kind of, we'll get to it, but Spending so much time down there, there's always I still continue to have so much interest in, in what Houston's doing and, and you know how the Texans are are moving forward and, and seeing all the people down there. So like I love staying connected with the Texans. So this is uh this is an easy yeah let's do it for me. Awesome. Well, yeah, we really appreciate it. Um, why don't you for for the people that maybe may not know where they can find you. Uh, why don't you shout out? I mean, you have, I'll be honest, um, you have a, a great following on almost all social media platforms, including Facebook, which you don't typically see for, for people on the NFL network. Usually it's Twitter and Instagram. So why don't you kind of plug where they can find you and where they can find your reports and writing and all of that? Yeah, you can find me currently in my basement, in my <laughs> basement studio where I'm now confined. <laughs> That's where I'm currently at. And then, uh, yeah, on Twitter, you know, James Palmer TV is what I am on Twitter, and that's kind of where I put most of my news uh, of what's going on within the league, and Texans are definitely uh, a, a part of that um, as well. And then uh, on Instagram, it's the same thing, James Palmer TV. That's a little bit more of like a, I don't know, some more of my life uh, and behind-the-scenes type of things at games and stuff, which is kind of fun. And then, yeah, like Facebook is definitely the same thing. I have a, like a journalist uh, page um, that kind of has a lot of like pictures and, and, and all my reports from NFL, Net- NFL Network that, that go all there as well. So that's kind of kind of a nice spot. And then you can search me on, on, on NFL.com and kind of pick up all my writing um, uh, pretty much there. You can search by writer, uh, which is not a bad gig. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, great. Well, so the Texans have been in the news a lot over the last month. Uh, if you have a Texans podcast or if you write for a Texans website, uh, you've been extremely busy over the last, uh, you know, five weeks. <laughs> um, Bill O'Brien's mm-hmm. done a really good job to kind of give us something to think about and talk about in, uh, during quarantine. So um, I, I started a Texans virtual happy hour uh, like four weeks ago just, just with fans and it grew to like 60 people, and uh, it's been extremely fun. So thank you, Bill O'Brien, nice. for keeping us in the news. Um, so with all the moves going on, obviously the the, the biggest move is um, going to forever be the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Um, Bill O'Brien will forever probably be associated to that 27-year-old wide receiver. Uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, is the best wide receiver in the league. You know, we return in return. We get a uh, you know a running back in David Johnson who hasn't been productive uh, in the league since 2016, but definitely has shown that he is a superstar when healthy and when everything is going in the direction that it needs to go for a running back to be successful. What are your thoughts on the moves made over the last month, five weeks, and do you think the Texans have gotten any better? Well, first off, I think they've gotten better in the sense of their philosophy, right? So now there's this building, and we'll get to it later, that, that's now run entirely by Bill O'Brien and his right-hand man, Jack Easterby. And I do think they've gotten better in their eyes to where 
it more comes in line with their philosophy, right, and how they believe this team should be built. I think they do think this is the best team that they've had. I mean, Bill O'Brien came out and said it uh, when he was talking to us on his pre-draft conference call that this is the best team they've had in the Deshaun Watson era. Well, that's really, I call the Deshaun Watson era 18 and 19 because he played seven games in 2017. Mm -hmm. So um, you're really comparing it to the two previous seasons, but they do think they're better. And I think you got to, and everybody makes the, the comparison, but they do it because it's true. Their model is the Patriots, yep. and in my opinion, it is Deshaun Watson and all on his shoulders this year. Now, when I say all on his shoulders, that's between the lines, wins and losses. It's all on Bill O'Brien's shoulders, uh, and every all eyes are on him considering he put this team together and he prepares this team uh, to play and coaches them when they're playing. It, it really falls on Bill, but at the same time, I think the team now falls entirely on Deshaun Watson. What they've done with the Hopkins trade is they turned DeAndre Hopkins, which is, and in, in, in my opinion, he is the best receiver in football. Um, they turned that player into Randall Cobb, Brandon Cooks, and David Johnson. Yep. So if you're looking at the Patriots model, that's kind of what Bill Belichick would prefer. In all the years he had Tom Brady, they had one dominant receiver for one year, right? They had a year with Randy Moss, and that's it. Outside of that, they have never really paid and, and done the top-tier wide receiver type of stuff. Now, you can say all those years they had Gronk, who, in my opinion, is the greatest tight end to ever play football. Without that helps doubt. you a lot. But the point is, you let the quarterback make the plays, and he spreads it around to, in my opinion, a bunch of B, B-plus players. And I think that's what the Texans have. I think you could look and say that, like, Brandon Cooks, you know, 4,000-yard seasons in five years. Okay, that's decent. Will Fuller, everybody I talk to is like, he is not a just speed receiver. He can run the full route tree. I was talking to Jonathan Joseph the other day. He was like, if he can play 16 games, the league's going to be like, holy, like, this kid can play. Um, that's what teammates see in him. But, again, he needs to stay healthy. The point I'm making is, you look at all the pieces around Deshaun Watson, I think they've set him up to succeed more now than when it was a third of the targets go to DeAndre Hopkins, right? I mean, 29% of the time when Deshaun Watson drops back, he throws the ball to Hop. Now it's going to be a defense has to figure out where he's going with the football. You now have a slot receiver in Andrew Cobb, which talking to people in the building, it's like we never had a true slot, and I don't think they have under Bill O'Brien. They've never had a real slot receiver, and I think that's something they're missing and think that Cobb can be a big game changer. So the point of all this is I do think offensively they are better because you're putting really everything in the hands of a generational player, in my opinion. Ken Watson do it? He can go anywhere with the football. But obviously health comes into play with Brandon Cooks and health comes into play with Will Fuller and age comes into play with Randall Cobb and health comes into play with David Johnson. There's question marks, but I do see what they're trying to do. And if it works, I think everybody's going to be going, wow, maybe they were kind of on to something and letting this kid make all the plays. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a, kind of a lot to unpack there. For me, Will Fuller specifically, um, I, I think he's actually one of the better route runners in, in the league. A lot of people don't think that because mm -hmm. they just look at his speed. But when you look at the crispness of his route and then you combine his speed, that's really what makes him dangerous. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. I think Will Fuller – while he can't stay healthy, I think, you know, if this is the year that he does it, 
Um, he has the pressure on him now. He knows that it's important that he does. It's a contract year for him. If there's ever going to be a year mm-hmm. where Will Fuller is able to put it together, this should be the year. Um, and, and I agree, the slot position is the most important position in a New England-style offense. We've seen it year over year from Wes Welker to Julian Edelman. That under the, that slot receiver that's going to run underneath routes and give your quarterback basically a security blanket um, is it, so important, especially in the middle of the field. It opens up the outside guys. It opens up stuff for your running backs and your tight ends. It's a very important piece mm-hmm. of this offense. And I think the only one we really had was Bruce Ellington, but he always was hurt, so you couldn't count on him. You know, Kiki, his rookie year against the Colts looked really good. I think he had two games of 11 catches, but then after that, once Wes Walker left, it seems that his his attention to detail, um, and then possibly, this is my theory, but I think when, when Wes left, um, I think he lost his champion in the room. And I think that goes a long way when it comes to the coaching staff, right? If you have somebody that's kind of always banging on your drum, uh, and promoting you, I think that helps with the coaching staff. When Wes left, I think that hurt Kiki's development. Um, but then I think when you look outside of Cooks and Fuller uh, and uh, David Johnson, I think Jordan Akins for me is, is if I'm looking at a tight end to break out and I'm I'm thinking who could be that tight end if I played fantasy. Uh, I don't. I'm not a big fantasy guy, but um, you know, if I did, I would be looking. I, I would be looking at Jordan Akins. You know, when you look at what he did last year, the stats aren't eye popping, but when you look at his yards after catch, he was a top five tight end in the league last year. So they have the weapons. I agree with you 100. percent It's just more about can this work and will we see it work? My biggest thing with the DeAndre Hopkins trade was just the fact that. It seemed that there was no plan, and I think that's what a lot of people were were bothered with, is you traded the best wide receiver, and you got back an aging running back that you don't know if he could be a three-down back anymore. And then you add Brandon Cooks, and then everything kind of just looks a little bit better. It just takes it takes one receiver for something like that to happen. So I agree with you 100%. I think this is the best team. Um, it is the Deshaun Watson era, and Deshaun has to be able to rise to the challenge, and I, I think he will. Yeah, I mean, again, like, I I think most of this is going to fall on him. It's going to fall on Tim Kelly, who might be a household name to a lot of people, but is one of the brightest young coaches around. Um, And now that he's calling the plays, and it's a little bit more of his offense, obviously Bill's involved, um, and how Tim and Sean build this, um, obviously Bill's involved, but, like, the two of them and their relationship, which is very good, how do they take the next step in all of this? I do think uh, back to their philosophy, like talking with Bill, the, the idea is your foundation should be your quarterback, your tackles, and your corners. Yep. And the reason that that's the case is those are three positions that are really difficult to find really good players. Um, they're hard, and but they're also important, which is why everybody always swings for all those spots. And you look at what Bill's done and his aggression to go and get Laramie Tunsil in the trade and how aggressive he was in that sense, how aggressive they were, um, and that was a little bit more Rick Smith, but to go up and get Deshaun Watson. And then <laughs> the one million corners that came in this year to try to see who could work with a bunch of first-round talent to see if anything can kind of pan out. It shows you that that is their philosophy. Now, offensively, I think a deal's going to get done with Laramie Tunsil. So... You have Titus Howard, who they really, really liked how he played at right tackle in his rookie season. Um, you have your tackles and your quarterback lined up. The That's your foundation of your offense. 
And, and to me, I think they're in a really good spot in that sense. So you, you, I guess, like, Bill asked us to be patient, and, and I think you, you were kind of spot on with you. were like, everybody goes, well, what did you get for DeAndre Hopkins? Well, it's kind of like, well, you got you throw Brandon Cooks in there because the, the pick you got from the Cardinals, you, you got Brandon Cooks. So it kind of changes it a little bit. And how they feel about David Johnson is, I mean, around the league, teams were also interested in, in DJ, but they weren't interested in picking up his entire salary. And that's something that, obviously, the Texans did. Um, so that makes it a little bit different. Um, if you can find a way to make him what he was in 16, now talking to people there, they don't even know if he can be, but if you can get him to be the guy where you can line up power and then shift him out to the slot and he can run a slant against the linebacker, which is a huge mismatch if he's healthy and, and the player that we've seen, that changes your entire game plan now. And I know they've always wanted their backs to catch the football, but like that's the only thing Duke Johnson could do. If he was in the field, if he was on the field, you're like, well, he's going to catch it. He's not going to run. He's not going to run. Like, you know what I mean? Like it limits how multiple you can be. So I do think the way that they're built now is you can be much more multiple. And I think that's obviously what you try to do in this, in this day and age is keep the team in a mismatch on defensively. So, you brought up the tight end spot as well, which I also wholeheartedly believe we saw last year how much Deshaun Watson can look at that group and how that group can kind of change the dynamic of this team. All of this comes into being as precise as you can be, no freelancing in your routes, uh, making sure everything is exactly on time for Deshaun Watson with a million different options. And I think that's that's the plan, and that's – all going to fall on how things develop this off season. Yep. No, I I, I completely agree. I, I think it's um you know another part when you were mentioning about Deshaun and DeAndre uh, with 29 percent of his targets going that way, you know I said on uh, on a podcast a couple weeks ago that this is kind of a blessing in disguise for Deshaun. Last year, I you know I, I obviously critiqued Deshaun more than anybody else. I'm, I'm very hard on him because I have high expectations. It's like your kids; you have high expectations for your kids. Mm-hmm. You never you never drop those expectations. You are going to push them to meet those expectations. And with DeAndre, a lot of times Deshaun would just lock on to DeAndre. He wouldn't he wouldn't go through his reads. Um, he wouldn't look for other open receivers or tight ends. A lot of times it was let's just find a way to get the ball to hop. I think for Deshaun Watson to be able mm-hmm. to take that next step as a quarterback, when you take that away and you're adding, you're looking for a group production to replace DeAndre's production, I think it's like, hey, Deshaun, here's how you're going to continue to get better, and, and here's one of the areas that we need you to get better at for us to take the next step. And a lot of people thought it was a hot take, but I don't really think it's a hot take. I think it's really more of understanding how to go through your reads and get the entire offense going and not depending on one player to do that. Exactly, and I think he can do that. I mean, I'm actually putting up an article on NFL.com, I think it'll come up Monday, about how this all falls on Deshaun. And the part of it, and I don't want to make the the Brady comparison, um, but there is a sense, as I was writing this, that it's there, right? So the offenses are similar. They're now in a position to where uh, they don't have the number one receiver and they're kind of spread around with a bunch of decently talented uh, pass-catching options. Now, the the element of it is 
can he handle it mentally? That's obviously the first question, right? Can he handle this to where at the line of scrimmage, he's the one changing everything, he's the one in control. I do think he has the ability to do that. From everybody I've talked to, this is a really, really bright kid. And the other part about it is he never makes the same mistake twice. So he learns from his mistakes, and he learns from his growth. I mean, the guy still hasn't played a whole ton of football. Right. I mean, he really hasn't at the NFL level. I mean, the only way and the only reason nationally, like the level I'm working on, we're not talking about him more is because the guy that was picked two spots ahead of him might go down as the greatest football player ever. So that's the only reason we're not talking about Deshaun Watson, because Patrick Mahomes is going out there and doing some stuff that we've never seen before and playing the position at a level that we've never seen before. If that wasn't happening, everybody right now would be like, this kid, Deshaun Watson, is going to blow up the league, right? Like, that would be more of the, more of the narrative if, if Pat wasn't doing what he was doing. So I do think he can handle it mentally. I mean, I remember him talking when, we were, when I was there this past year about when he was watching the Ohio State Clemson game, and me being a Buckeye was tragic to lose that game. But in the, in the semifinals, where he knew every play that Trevor Lawrence was going to run before the ball was snapped because he still remembers that playbook. Yep. To me, all of these things together means he can, he can handle the mental side of it. And then there's the, you know, the leadership, the must-win type of thing. When I was talking to a bunch of scouts over the last month, which, I, you know, which is my life and, and coaches about getting ready for this draft, I love talking to these guys that are really, really good quarterback evaluators. And there's some fear in some guys about some of these quarterbacks. And specifically when you look at a guy like Tua, obviously the health part is it is there, but other parts like it's hard to judge a quarterback that goes to a school like Alabama, right? One guy put it to me like the ball boy could win 12 games at Alabama as the quarterback. Just everybody is so talented. How do you make sure that the quarterback is the one doing it? People look for generational talents at the quarterback spot that change where they're at. Deshaun Watson went to Clemson and made a very good program into a juggernaut, right? And he did that. And, and that's the and he, you know, it's funny, we weren't even talking about Deshaun, and that's what this coach brought up was Deshaun Watson. He was like, that's what I want to see from that position, a person that changes, changes the program, changes the – the team. And so I think he has that aspect of him as well. And then on top of it, like the playmaking ability, the ability to kick in the face and make a throw to, to do what he did in that wild card game when I was standing on that sideline like 15 feet from him. And when he threw the pass and got hit, like he slid and was almost like two feet in front of me. And then Tony Jones goes down and, and you know, wins the game. I, I think all of those things together, I, I don't I don't think you can argue that Bill's wrong in putting this all on Deshaun Watson. No, I agree. I think this, you know, one thing that we've learned, and you've covered this, the NFL, a lot longer than I have, but one thing we've learned about the NFL is that it really is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. So if, if mm-hmm. you know, with Pat Mahomes coming in and doing what he did, there's no talk of what Deshaun did his rookie year, you know, and then the following year Baker Mayfield comes mm-hmm. in and, and breaks the records, but – if anybody goes back to that 2017 season and, and watches what Deshaun did, or 2016 season, right? 16, 17, 18, 19. Yeah, no, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was he was setting the league on fire, uh, like mm-hmm. every week. Every every week he was doing something that people were just amazed at, and he has the capability of. I mean, he's a game changer at, at the quarterback position. His athletic ability, um, his touch on the on his deep balls is just absolutely gorgeous. I mean. 
I agree with you 100%. Deshaun is a once-in-a-generation type of talent, and um, because of Pat Mahomes, it's just people just kind of forget about Deshaun. So since we're on Deshaun, um, there's a lot of talk right now, um, and it's not like national. Well, I guess it kind of has reached somewhat of a national level. People are writing articles about it now, um, saying that Deshaun is so unhappy with the franchise and wants out, and he's liking comments on Instagram about firing Bill O'Brien. I kind of chalk that up to it being a 24-year-old kid. Um, I, I don't look at it as this guy's ready to talk to David and say, David, get me out of here. What are your senses on, on that entire situation? I, I think Deshaun's here long-term, but I thought I'd just throw that out there to you. Well, there's a couple of parts that play into it, right? Like, yeah, being happy is definitely uh, an aspect of, <laughs> of wanting to play for an organization. Losing a guy that you talk to regularly in DeAndre Hopkins um, – obviously has an impact on you, and you're right. He's still 24 years old, which is remarkable to me, but he's still 24 years old, and you lose a guy that is the best receiver in football. Like, what quarterback is going to be happy about that? I mean, now this is a hard sell that Bill O'Brien's making, and he's trying to make it to all of us and telling all of us to be patient and make sure we, you know, judge it maybe after this season, after two seasons and don't jump to conclusions, well, he has to sell it to his quarterback as well, which he's been trying to do, and they've talked a lot. Um, and, and I think what he has to sell to him is, you're the man. Like, I did this, so now you have all these options. But also, Deshaun's going, well, like, well, I, I could throw to a guy that was double covered, and he still caught it. Like, do you know what that's like as a quarterback? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's that feeling for Deshaun going, you're you're taking away something that allowed me to do a lot of a lot of things that a lot of players don't let me do. I think there's there's always the aspect of like keeping your player happy, but also doing what's best for your club. And that's why it's so difficult. And Bill's still learning this. And I'm not like asking like I know more than he does, but I think he would admit it. There's an aspect of when you do both positions as the general manager and the head coach you have to find a way to wear two separate hats to when you make the general manager decisions, your emotions are completely out of it. And that's very difficult because I think emotion did play a part in the DeAndre Hopkins trade. So I think the hard part about it is for Bill is he has to coach these guys like he loves them. And that's what coaches do. And then change hats and turn around to make the hard decisions that's why you don't see it in the league. I mean, there's one guy that can do it, right? And he, to us in the media and to most of his players, he is emotionless. And Bill Belichick is the only guy that's been successful at doing this. But there are other guys that do it, but they do it in a different fashion. Like Andy Reid has pretty much control of the Chiefs. But he has a guy in Brett Veach, who I think is a very underrated general manager and is the reason Patrick Mahomes is there. But Brett has to. Brett's the one who makes the call and who's cut who's traded, who's released. And Andy continues to, in every press conference, to say, I don't handle those things. You know, that's not me. That's, you know, that's Brett and his guys. You know, I just coach the team. Well, that's not really true. But he has the out to not be the bad guy to where players can still love him. That's the hard spot that Bill O'Brien's in because there is no cloak. There is no, you know, hidden deal where we all know this is his organization and he's making all the calls and he can't blame anybody else for anything or pass the buck to anyone. So that makes it a much more difficult conversation when you're talking to your quarterback about these moves. And I do think that's why it has to be massaged extremely well. I do think Bill O'Brien is in love with Deshaun Watson. 
I think he believes he is unreal. That is one thing that I do not waver on. And I think they have a good relationship. I just think you need to sell all of this. And the point being is this is a very difficult spot for Bill to make sure he sells it properly to a guy that doesn't come around very often. Perfect. No, I, I agree with everything you just said. Okay. Um, so free agencies happened. Obviously, you know, there's some questionable deals that the Texans made, specifically the Eric Murray deal. I'm not really too worried about the Randall Cobb spot. I think they valued the slot position uh, more than most people think. As we talked, it's very important to this offense. Um, $7 million mm-hmm. a year is not much for Randall Cobb, if, if you ask me, but it is what it is. <coughs> um and then, you know, we, we signed Timmy Jernigan, which I think is probably one of the more underrated moves of, of free agency for this team. We'll, we'll, we'll find out more after the draft. But are there any other free agents that you know of that the Texans are linked to right now? Well, the hard part for them, and obviously some of the numbers are coming down on, on some of these guys. Obviously, the, we watched the wide receiver class completely get transformed and what money was going around from what we thought before free agency to, to in a little bit of it. The hard part is, um, you don't have a ton of draft picks. You, you got some, but you also have to try to get these two deals done. So, like, you're trying to get Laramie Tunsil done. You'd like to get Deshaun Watson done. The point I'm making is money does come into play at some point um, in how you go about it. I do think sometimes, like, and I wouldn't be surprised if Bill dabbled back into the world of, of free agency because of his emphasis on veterans being important in this season. And I, and I totally agree with that, and I've heard it in multiple places around the league. Like, multiple people have told me, you're going to try to start a rookie quarterback, a rookie center, a rookie wide receiver, uh, you know, a rookie tight end this year, good luck. Like, with the way this offseason's going, those guys contributing is just going to be really difficult. So the point is, Bill's focused on veterans. If he goes out and tries to get somebody else, um, it's because he believes they're making an immediate impact. I also believe he believes the window's now, and we're trying to make sure we're trying to win as quickly as possible. Um, and that's why we're getting people where there's not a risk, right, like Brandon Cooks. Like, there's a risk with his health, but they didn't want to sit and wait and see what was there at 40 at the receiver class. They know what, what Cooks can do. Uh, let's go and make that move instead, and he can contribute immediately because he knows the system. The point kind of is – he does have an emphasis on, on veterans. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he went and made a, a, another play. This team needs pass rush, like, so bad. So bad. Um, I mean, just – just it is – it is a, and it's not a great class. Um, it really isn't. Um, I would think, though, like, I don't know, I guess that 40 spot um, – well, they gave 57 for Cooks, right? Yeah. So at the 40 spot, like you could get maybe the kid from Penn State, possibly, or something like that. So maybe, and then you can rotate and stuff. So I just think, yeah, pass rush is a, is a huge need for them. Maybe they go out and see if they can get that with one of these older guys that can come in and rotate. Um, but at the same time, I don't think anybody who you get now is completely changing uh, the way you play on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, the Tunsil Deshaun aspect of this is really the biggest piece that needs to happen before anything else can happen. They can't just spend money mm-hmm. until those two, or at least one, is locked up. If they're going to go into this year and let you know Deshaun enter his his fifth year option next year, then you know that kind of is what it is. But you still have to plan for that financial aspect of Deshaun's contract. So 
Um, I think they're in somewhat of a sticky situation when it comes to free agency. So I, I would expect maybe a couple veterans here and there, as Bill O'Brien emphasized that this is a veteran year last year, or I mean yesterday when he st- uh, spoke to the media. But um, yeah, I agree with you 100%. All right, so looking at the draft, we, we, we mentioned it a second ago. Um, they basically, another part of the deal with um, the DeAndre Hopkins and Brandon Cooks, if you look at those two deals together, they basically moved up 17 spots uh, to the 40th uh, pick in the second round, which is a very good position to be in for a team that doesn't have a ton of picks because you have, you'll have you likely have a couple first-round guys that, that fall to you. Um, looking at this team, for me, the biggest need is a three-down defensive tackle. Uh, the loss of DJ Reader is, is a big loss for this team. Um, and they're going to be in a position to be able to grab somebody that could play on, on all three downs on the defensive line, especially on the interior. We're seeing a lot more now that the interior pass rush is really where teams are starting to go because you're able to – you're seeing a lot more athletic quarterbacks that are able to slip out on the edge and things of that nature. If you can crash that pocket, it kind of kind of forces that quarterback to do some different things. Um, when you're looking at this team, I mean, you just mentioned pass rush is the biggest need um, – for this team, would you is would you say that you know the Penn State guy, maybe Neville Gellimore? I'm not sure how familiar you are with the draft right now, but looking at some players that could potentially be available at 40, where would you like to see the Texans go? Well, I mean, to me, I, I think any team should always go with best available at, at their spot, anywhere within the top probably 50 picks. To me, um, I think. A lot of times it's a great spot to be. 40 is wonderful if you can move there, too. And I don't think the Texans have enough picks to be able to move around uh, within that, that spot at 40. So I think they're going to be more or less probably locked in to there. The problem is this pass rush group is, is after the first couple and who aren't even like record breakers outside of Chase Young, um, it's not fantastic. And that's kind of the same way the defensive tackle spot is and the defensive line spot is. I mean, you have – Derek Brown and was it Kinlaw at the top, and then I'm told there's a it's it's a drop it's yep. a it's a considerable drop. Um, what I do think you can get though is I wouldn't be surprised if you had a really decent corner sitting there as well. There's yep. a lot of people uh, around the league that believe this is a decent corner draft in that like second third round uh, type of area end of the first um, type of type of mindset. Um, I think, to me, there's needs all over your field, really. I mean, tell me outside of the quarterback and the tackle spot where you're like, nope, don't need anything there. I mean, really, right, on the entire team. Like, so I, I really think best available might be your, your play. And some of those edge guys that I mentioned, like, you know, you could look at a kid from Iowa, too, who I've told a lot of, you know, the public is maybe higher. Is it Espenza, I think it is. Yeah, uh, talking to an area scout there is that uh, that – people maybe publicly are way higher on him than the way teams think he is. To me, that says, okay, he might be one of those guys available at 40. And some of that pass rush also, get one of these kids that can, you know, like Alex Highsmith, like out of Charlotte, and like get him in like the fourth round and play him 20, 15 to 20% of the snaps. And he can come on the field and help out. I mean, I'm sitting in Denver right now. And they, I wouldn't be surprised if they went pass rush and you would go, why? Like, they have Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller. Um, because if you rotate pass rushers, those guys get better, right, because they don't have to play as many snaps, uh, so they're fresher. 
and then you can rotate talent behind them. The best time the Broncos were at getting at the pass rush when they won the Super Bowl, they had a first-round pick in Shane Ray and Shaq Barrett, who led the NFL in sacks as their two backups behind DeMarcus Ware and Vaughn Miller. Yep. So I think that's a spot where you can always have more talent because it makes the guys who get a break better as well. So I do think, honestly, at 40, you're going to get a first-round talent because most teams I've talked to have more players with first-round grades this year than they have in multiple seasons last year. So always some teams are going to reach for need, which to me means at the beginning of the second round, there's going to be guys that are available that you have a first-round grade on. Yeah. Uh, I, and with the cornerback class, I, I agree. It is very deep. you got Jeff Gladney out of TCU. you got Jalen Johnson out of Utah. Um, A.J. Terrell out of Clemson. Those are all second-round guys that could potentially make a difference day one. I just wonder with what Bill O'Brien said yesterday with, with the rookies coming in and, and things kind of being up in the air with OTAs, rookie minicamp and training camp, uh, I just wonder if a skill player is kind of where he kind of starts to go away from just because – of the lack of potential impact on, on the team. And that's, and that's true. But at the same time, think about it. Like, I don't think they're, they're not in a good position at corner, but it's not terrible. So I don't think this kid who they get in the second round, if they go corner is starting. Right. So yeah. you're, you, you do have to also look at the future of your club as well. But I know like receiver was a spot that they were scared of picking at 40 because I think they do want, uh, they do, they did need immediate impact at that position, which is why you make the Cooks deal. But you're right. Like, it'd be tough for a corner to come in and be the guy right away. I think if you're picking that corner at Floyd, I don't think he's coming in and be the guy for Bill O'Brien. Yeah, and I also think uh, I'm, I'm extremely high on the secondary. I'm one of very few, but I love Gary and Conley. I think it's hard to come in midseason and make an impact. And if you look at his PFF grade from the time he came to the Texans to the rest of the season, he, he was, I, I think, top ten. Uh, Lonnie Johnson's been working with the footwork king a lot, and his biggest thing was just his transition and his hips being locked and his footwork. Uh, and then, obviously, Bradley Roby, who you're familiar with. Um, I, I'm, I'm extremely mm-hmm. high on Roby. I think in the slot he'll be uh, a very good option for them. So, yeah, I, 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 honestly, BPA is where they're, they're going to go, it sounds like, based on his comments yesterday. And it's a good position to be in considering – that you're able to solve the wide receiver, uh, wide receiving core with Brad, the addition of Brandon Cooks, um, and it kind of just gives you the the ability to just kind of take best player available on the defensive side of the ball. Because I mean, maybe they take a running back in the second or third. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. Bill loves running backs, um, so maybe this is the time. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I agree with you 100. percent They're they're in a good position to go BPA throughout the draft. Um, all right, last one before we get you out of here. Uh, so with with Bill O'Brien being promoted to GM this off season, uh, my feeling is that Cal is basically saying, here's the keys to the car. Uh, there's no one else to blame. You've had your issues with Rick. You've had your issues with Brian. Um, now this is your team. You're responsible solely for this. If, if you can't reach the AFC championship, and maybe that's setting the bar too high. <clears throat> maybe it's more of if you can't have a successful season and make a run, this is probably it for you. Would you agree with that sentiment? <clears throat> uh, no. Okay. I, I just don't. I don't think you make the moves that they've made to give Bill uh, the power that he has to bring in everybody that he wants to be around him, and then give it one year. I mean, I just don't see how that can be um, financially. 
uh, the right move and philosophically the right move. Like what you're trying to do, and, and Urban Meyer described this to my buddy Albert Breer uh, as I continue to make this more about Ohio State than, than the Houston Texans because <laughs> uh, Albert and I went to Ohio State together and, and obviously Urban coached there, and we, we could go on and on about Roby and Conley and a couple of Buckeyes too. So, yep. um, But Urban made a great point to where he's been making a big effort to talk to more and more of his former players about why whatever team they're on is successful or not successful, right? And the point that Urban was making was he has found out um, he has found out that the way the building works is more important than people think. And Urban's like, everybody in the league is good. They're in the NFL. Like, all the players are good. To say you just have bad players is kind of a cop-out. Like, some teams are more talented than others. Yes, some teams draft better than others. Yeah. Um, some teams are stuck in the financial commitments to players that they don't really want to keep, but they have to, and they can't play anymore. But everybody's really good. What you build in your building in terms of the philosophy, the culture, all of those things really are the reasons why certain teams win and certain teams lose. So if you're just creating this culture now in Houston and you're just getting off you know, the ground with it being Bill's entire building and it's him and Jack running pretty much everything. Your culture is just getting underway, even though Bill's been there for a little while. I think exactly the philosophy and culture they want is just getting started. If that's so important, you can't give up on it right away. Now, I do think all eyes are on Bill and everything rides on, on him right now about whether they're winning or losing games and it can't be passed to anybody else. But I just don't think you're going to reset your organization uh, after one year with the setup you have. Um, I just don't see that being plausible. I don't see how you can do that when that's the last thing that any building wants to do, right? Like, you pick the wrong quarterback, your building goes back five years and people lose their jobs, right? That happens. That's the last thing that buildings want. So why would you revamp it? When first time you do have the quarterback spot after one year of, of starting to build this culture in the manner in which they wish. So I, I just think there's definitely more time than some people are allotting. Um, could something change if Cal gets very upset? Yeah. Uh, it's like, hey, man, you're not GM anymore. We've got to bring in somebody else too. Or Bill decides he's not GM. Like, there could be a shift, but I don't see Bill going really anywhere um, after this season. Yeah, I think for me long term what I see is if – if the the season isn't successful or how Cal may deem it successful, I think Bill has a role with the organization. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, maybe, and I'm just throwing this out there, but that maybe he just takes the GM role completely and they hire a head coach to, to, to handle that. But I was basically going off of Albert Breer's report a couple of weeks ago that he, that he was told that since um, Bill didn't get a, a raise with when he was promoted to GM that that was kind of Cal's way of saying like make it work or else. And I can see that. I mean, listen, owners vary by club, and I think owners' football knowledge varies by club, and owners' um, savvy varies by club. Cal is very new to this, right? Like very, very new. new. So very I think new. there is the element of we don't know exactly what he's going to do. You know, because he hasn't been doing it that well. Yeah, no, I, I, you're you're right. I mean, this this is uh, 
Uh, there's a lot of new things going on over on Kirby, and I think everybody's just trying to figure out the best way to go about it and how to kind of know what to expect. But I think you've shed a lot of light on on everything going on at NRG, and I really do appreciate the time. Um, James Palmer, thank you for mm-hmm. joining the, the podcast. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Oh, I loved it, man. Uh, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful, beautiful way to start my morning here. <laughs> awesome. Well, make sure you guys go follow follow James Palmer on uh, Twitter at James Palmer TV. Uh, he covered the Texans for Sportsnet, uh, Comcast, uh, 2014 to 2016. He's well known in Houston. So again, James, thank you so much, and uh, we'll be in talks. Yeah, for sure. Loved this episode of Texans Unfiltered. We'd love for you to be a Patreon supporter. Your support allows us to provide you with the best Texans podcast possible. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HoustonFBPod and everywhere podcasts can be found. And join our community on www.texansunfiltered.com or on Discord at Texans Unfiltered. Thank you for listening. Until next time.